How's noon? All right. I know noon's excited. You know, when you said evenings, you have to remember, they think that noon is the morning. So they're thinking like midnight's evening, man. It's just four hours after you guys get up on May 21st. Got a gathering for you. We're going to have some food. It's going to be great. We're going to kick off a series that day called Wise Up, where we're just looking at a collection of Proverbs to kick off the summer, the first summer series. And uh, so many exciting things going on around here. The remaining team's going. We've got an event for families called Thrive coming up. It's going to teach you, even if you have kids or if you don't have kids right now, what would it look like to think about having a family long-term in the city? Uh, a few of us have proven it can be done. And so uh, we're going to do that uh, next month. Um, this past Sunday was Easter. I know most of you know that. Some of you are home. Some of you are traveling. Many of you are here. Um, we saw some really incredible things last week. We saw a 1,000 people show up between the four gatherings at Epic last Sunday, which was amazing. And better than that, at least to me, uh, better than that was that we had over 60 people indicate some kind of faith commitment they were making last week, which was just amazing to hear people coming back to their faith, people willing to explore and seek, people that were like 16 people said, today, I want to start this personal journey of following Jesus. That was pretty significant. Uh, seven people saying they, they know the marker for their life and their faith was, is baptism. And that's their next step. And so let me just say, for those of you who served last week, around 150 people in our church, thank you. For, for those of you who invited someone, Thanks for inviting them. You never know what one invitation, one simple invitation could lead to. I talked to a young man after the 1030 and he just said to me, and now that I'm 40, everybody's young. Um, but he said, he said to me, uh, thanks so much for having a church where I can invite my friends. They really felt at home and welcomed here. And I think they'll be back. Do you have a resource I could help them with? And it's like, all right, this is what we started this church for. So yes, let's, let's do it. And for those of you who did make some kind of faith decision last week, just know, I want to remind you, we have a heart as leaders and staff here at Epic to walk alongside you with whatever your next step is. We're never going to ask you to go to a place that you're not ready to go to. We believe every person, including the pastor, and every person who's here for the first time always has a next step, and we just want to say, where are you today? What is your next step? How can we help you take it? That's what we're about as a church. We're relentlessly devoted to that next step process, and so we want to help you with whatever that is. I also want to give you some other really exciting news today. At least it's exciting to us, and I hope that you will show enthusiasm, even if you're not really enthusiastic about it. We, this summer, are going to launch a brand new online campus for Epic Church. Like, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means we will be live streaming everything that happens in this room at 9, 10, 30 and noon Pacific time, obviously. We will be live streaming it anywhere there's internet around the world. And the reason that's incredible for a few reasons. One is, if you know anything about the epic culture or just think about your own life, only about half of us who are part of this community are in the city on any given Sunday. So we have like 600 people show up a Sunday, about 1,200 probably show up over the course of a month. Because you guys, you, you have to travel, you can travel. And so whether you're doing business in Shanghai or you're relaxing uh, down in a remote island uh, somewhere in the world, you will be able to, as long as there's internet, pay attention and be a part of whatever's going on in this space, which is really significant, we think. Also, for you ladies, if you've just had a baby and you can't get to church for the next several weeks, you'll be able to be a part and experience what's going on here without being here. Uh, I don't know if there's any virtual child care, but you will be able to experience everything that's going on here. Uh, and so that will be huge, but it's especially going to be significant for our neighbors, friends, and coworkers who want some kind of experience to know what it would be like before they actually make a commitment to walking in here. And so, whereas now they've got to come in a physical door, we think we can create a virtual front door for people to experience what they would experience and for them to have an experience that is uh, meaningful. And also they realize it's a non-threatening environment and then they might come through the doors after experiencing that for the first time. 
So all kinds of reasons to be excited. But here's the thing. In order for us to move forward with this, we've got to be able to expand our production team here at Epic. Our production team, the cameraman right here, production team is in the booth, making things sound, showing lyrics, producing this, making sure. Um, by the way, one of the reasons it's cool to go online campus is that uh, what we do here at Epic in terms of our messages, they are being watched and listened to all around the world. So we know that weekly in Switzerland and Ireland and Africa, all, all over uh, the place. And so we want to be able to help do that on a weekly basis, but we need to increase our team. And the good news is you don't have to be an expert to be a part of the online campus team. Um, and also you don't even have to have a technical background to participate in doing something on the campus that's going to be online. Because just like we have hospitality teams that serve in our lobby as people walk in the physical front doors, we're going to need hosts online to engage people as they walk through the virtual doors for the Epic experience. And so would you do us a favor if you're willing to at least have a conversation and just write online campus on your communication card? All it does is commit you to a conversation where you can learn more about what would it look like, what are the roles, what are the requirements, how frequent, all of those kinds of things. Because we want to be able to, uh, and I know there, there are a few people around the city of San Francisco that have some tech experience. Just a, just a few. You're like, oh, Ben, that's my day job. All right, that's your day job. And I know making products, that's amazing. But think about this. Being a part of this team is going to allow you and going to allow us as a church to reach people with what God wants to do in their lives without them having to make a massive commitment. They're used to getting content online. For us to be able to provide meaningful things like what we do every single Sunday here, just imagine that you get to play a part, spending a couple hours a week maybe, getting to play a part in helping get this message out to what God's doing in the rest of the world. We have a very uh, global community here at Epic just because of where we're located, 50 nations represented. Many people who've been a part of our church in the past now live all over the world, and so they have a way to stay connected with us. And it's going to be a tremendous thing. Todd Eichel serves as Epic's technical director and does a great job overseeing our team, and he will make sure that you have the kind of training necessary to be successful if you would be willing to help us with that. But the only way, the only way, the only way, the only way that that vision for an online campus becomes a reality if there's a team that's there to staff it. So jump in, and we will help you get uh, oriented around what that looks like. Today we're beginning a brand new series called Work Matters. Work matters, yes? Work does matter, and I think there's not going to be much disagreement with you and me about that, but the question you might ask about Work Matters as a four-week teaching series is, why in the world would a church talk about work for four Sundays in a row? Why in the world would a church like Epic talk about work for four Sundays in a row? I mean, after all, you can learn from many different sources out there about how to do work, can't you? And you should. You can read thousands of books about work, and you should read. Not thousands of them, but read some of them. I love reading about it myself. So the question is, why would we as a church spend four weeks talking about work? Here's why. The vision of Epic Church is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their, give me that word, Again, entire lives around Jesus. And here's what I know. Here, here's what I know. You're going to easily spend 40 to 50 times more hours in your work setting than you will in this church setting. And if I can only give you something that's good for a Sunday, then I have failed you as your pastor and we have failed you as your church community. We know that you are going to spend more time, by far more time, doing your work than you will doing the kind of thing we're doing today. And we want to speak into that because we think God speaks into that. And here's what we really want to do. We want to remove so much of the compartmentalization that exists in so many of our lives. 
So many of us, we, we haven't fully integrated our lives. We think that we have two kind of lives. We have a sacred life and we have a secular life. We have a sacred life and we have a secular life. And my sacred life is what I'm doing right now. Uh, my sacred life is when I show up to my small group. My sacred life is in the morning I read the pages of Scripture, and that's my sacred life. My sacred life are the prayers that I pray before I go to bed at night. My sacred life is when I serve in my church, when I serve one of our partners in the city, when I serve somewhere like Romania around the world. That's my sacred life, but then I have my secular life, what I might think of as my normal life or my regular life. In my regular life, I pay bills. In my regular life, I go to the office. In my regular life, I drop the kids off at school. In my regular life, I interact at happy hour. In my regular life, I do on and on and on. I do household chores, and that's my regular life. But what if there's not supposed to be a divide between your sacred life and your secular life? What if all of your life is meant to be spiritual? Now you're thinking, Ben, I don't want to sing songs and just read the Bible 24-7. Me either. And I love singing, and I love reading the Bible. But what if all of life is meant to be spiritual? What if our faith in God is meant to impact everything we do every day of the week? What if your faith in God, what we're trying to, so when we gather, we're not trying to give you everything spiritual. What Sundays are for our community is really this rallying point. We come together, there's a bit of community, there's this collective uh, corporate worship, and then we try to teach something, not so that you will be able to remember it when you come back next Sunday, but so that you can wake up and implement it on your Monday and on your Tuesday. And whether you're in the office or you're in a dating relationship or you're raising your children or you're interacting in your neighborhood, we want to be able to provide the kind of content that's going to help you live the life that that you live 24-7, 24-7. So we, we want to be, be about that, that, that your faith and my faith in God, it's meant to impact more than just a portion of our lives. It's meant to impact our entire lives. And I hope, no matter what background you have, where you are in your spiritual journey, that you see it as very good news that God wants to speak into every aspect of your life. Do you see that as good news? I hope that you would, that that he cares about what you do at the office, that he cares about how your teams interact at work, that he cares about your relationship. He cares about your finances. Now, some of us are like, no, Ben, I don't want God in that space. He can have my Sunday two-hour space, my one-hour space, my small group, my mission trip once a year, but I want to take care of that. And God's going, hey, let's fully integrate this life that you're living. Let's fully integrate this life that you are living. When we talk about work, I want to define it for you simply using Merriam-Webster's definition. Here it is. It's an activity in which one exerts strength or faculties to do or perform something. It's an activity. So here's what we're talking about. We're not saying this is just what you do to get a paycheck. I love that Merriam-Webster doesn't use the word paycheck. There's no word salary in there. There's no like what you do 40 hours a week. It's an activity in which one exerts strength or another faculty in order to do or perform something. And here's what that means. It means that this series is for every person in this room. As I said to my children, when dad says from that stage tomorrow, work matters, know that I'm talking about your schoolwork. I'm talking about your homework. I'm talking about the work you do around the house. So whether you're in second grade or fifth grade or 10th grade, or you're a university student or you're a grad student, you're taking a coding class for the next 12 weeks. I'm talking about that kind of work. If you're retired, I'm talking about the fact that you still have work to do by this definition, because there's air in your lungs. If you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, I know that's not work at all. Just kidding. There was one point in time in 
raising of our small children where, you know, I would come home from a long day at work and I'd be like, just let me chill for a bit. My, my work is so hard. And then that girl went out of town. I'm like, oh, please take your job back. Please take your job back. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Because work is uh, beyond just what we get paid to do. If you're retired in the room, A, congratulations. B, we're jealous. But C, you still have work to do. Some people in our church, maybe in this room, that you can't legally work in a way that gets you a paycheck because of your visa situation. That's true in a lot of areas in our church. I know people, and there are people in this room. You can still do work according to how we're defining work. So no matter how old you are, whether you're unemployed, gainfully employed, you love your job, hate your job, you just volunteer with an organization, whatever it is you do, this series is for you. Who is this series for? It's for you. It's for you. And there are several resources that have helped me in preparing for this series. I think about the idea of work a whole lot. Um, But the leading resource, primary resource, is uh, Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. And again, lots of resources. So if you uh, send me an email, I'll shoot you about 20 books that have been helpful for me in terms of just thinking about work, how I learn in terms of a variety of things. But uh, Tim Keller, their church started over 30 years ago in Manhattan, and he's been thinking about what we're trying to think about faith and work in the urban context for a really long time. And so what they have is a full faith and work initiative. They have an entrepreneurship thing. They do a faith and work conference. And so um, maybe you've noticed over the last couple years especially, but Epic, we've begun to dabble in the faith and work space. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we'd had a start entrepreneurs event last month. Uh, we have a faith and work small group that meets every Tuesday. Uh, I have the privilege of being a part of a Thursday morning small group that we talk about self-leadership in. And so this is close to my heart. I love to think about it. I love to talk about it. And uh, I have so many conversations with, with, with you guys about your work. And what question I want to ask today is this question. This is our central question. Why work? Why work? And I mean it generally like why work at all? Like why is work a thing? Like why is it a part of life? And then specifically I ask the question, why work for you? Why do you go to work? What's the point of it? What is it that's motivating you? Now, because of two, I think, primary reasons, I have many conversations with you all about work. The two reasons I think are these. One is that you spend so much time doing your work that whenever it comes to me asking you, hey, what's going on, you talk about your work. Uh, Number two is that I love learning about work and business and entrepreneurship and all of those things. And so I'm I'm not only asking uh, you questions so I can help you sort out your life. I'm asking you questions so you can help me sort out how I do work. And it's amazing who you have access to in this community in terms of what people are doing for a living. So there's all all kind of reasons to be connected in the community. But one of the reasons is just so mutual learning can take place. And so I love doing that. Um, And we talk mostly, though, about the what of your work, don't we? What do you do? What do you hate that you do? What would you do if money wasn't an op- like an object? What should you be doing with your life? And so my conversations with you are a lot about uh, what is the work that you do? And work is vitally important, and what you do is really, really important. And if you're trying to figure that out, I think you should investigate what is it that I'm supposed to do. You can look at your passions, your spiritual gifts, your experiences, the opportunities, right? Things like strengths finders, whatever. Um, so, and, and I'd be glad to help you with that, and so would other men and women in our church. We'd be glad to talk about the what. The what is vitally important. But there's something that's even more important than the what, and that is the why. So let me give you this equation. Why I work is greater than, or it's more important than, what work I do. Why I work 
is greater than, it is more important than, it is more significant. It matters more, actually, than what I do. The what is critically important. We should talk about the what. We will begin to talk about how to understand the what of our work. But why you work to start with is more important than where you work. It's even more important than how you work. Though we'll get to that in week number four. How do we do our work and, and, and what is the work we do and where do we do our work? But first, why do you work? What's your why? Because whatever it is in, that you're involved in in life, knowing the why is going to really be that, that north star. It's going to be that guiding compass for helping us understand some of the other questions like what and where and with whom and how. First, you need to know why do I work? And to answer that question, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3. So if you have a Bible, first page of scripture, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will get one to you and we will go from there. Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll begin, but just keep a Bible handy. If you have it on your device, you have an actual hard copy. You're getting one of those Bibles. Keep your hands up, and we will get a Bible to you. we got hands up right here. Awesome. Make sure everybody's taken care of. So in the past, I have every year taught our church about the Sabbath. And whenever I give a Sabbath message, I will likely at some point in time use Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 or both to say, just like God rested from his work, you and I need to rest from our work. But today I'm not saying we need to rest like God rested. Today what I want to say is this. I want to show you how God worked, and then I want us to be the kind of people who work just like God works. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When we're first introduced to God, what is he doing? Is is he listening to a choir of angels singing lullabies to him? Is he floating on a cloud with an umbrella in his drink, chilling? Is he asleep or taking some other form of rest? Is he on the throne listening to people worship him? When we are first introduced to God, he is working. In the beginning, God is working. In the beginning, he created. In the beginning, what is the definition that Webster's give us? He's doing an activity in which he exerts strength or faculties to do or perform something. In the beginning... God is working. When we're first introduced to him, out of the gates, before you get anywhere else in scripture, you see that God is a God who works. That's fascinating. That he is a God who works. So when we think about our work and we're like, oh, God, you can't relate. I don't have a Bible question for you today. It's a work issue. I know you don't know anything about that. He's like, uh, maybe. This whole startup phenomenon of San Francisco, God's a fan. He invented it. He's the world's first entrepreneur. This is where I lose some of you. You're like, Ben, but I'm not an entrepreneur. I work for a big company that's been around forever. God's good at running big companies that have been around forever, too. He knows how to start something. He knows, if you, if you know Noah's story at all, this is where we might test our Bible knowledge a little bit. But if you know Noah's story at all, God knows what it's like for something you're leading to go almost bankrupt. He knows what it's like to revive something. He knows what it's like when it's almost over and to bring it back from the dead. He understands all of those things. And so whatever it is that you deal with, whatever your position is, whatever um, you're, you're in a startup thing, you're in a, a nonprofit, you're in a for-profit, like God understands what it is that you do. He knows what it is to work. And I think that's really incredible. Keller says about that idea this, in the beginning then God worked. 
Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have a more exalted inauguration. I'm glad to send these quotes to you. I know you may run out of time writing them down. Um, Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration. It wasn't something beneath him that he just gave to us as his creation. He actually participated in work himself. And so one of the things I hope that is hope-filling to you is knowing that the God you're trying to follow isn't just interested in you singing songs and reading your Bible and praying. He's super interested in the kind of work that you produce. However you define work, whatever season and stage of life that you're in, he is super interested. And you're like, Ben, I'm not even interested. I'm not sure. Do you know what I do? He may want you to do something different than you're doing, but he's super interested in what it is that you're doing and how you define work. He cares deeply about that, and he knows what it's like to do work. Well, God creates everything over a six-day span of time. And then on the the, the last moment, he, he creates human beings in his likeness. And he creates human beings in his likeness, not so we would be uh, at the same level as him, but so that we might be his image bearers on this earth, that we might bear the image of God, that we might reflect the image of God, and we get a chance to be his image bearers, maybe at our work, however you define it, more than we do any place else. I mean, think about it. If you're going to spend more time at work than you spend anywhere else, and you have this calling over your life to reflect the glory of God, to bear the image of God, then my guess is that you're probably going to have a chance to do that more in your work than any place else. So then you've got to ask, like, what does that look like? Well, as Genesis goes along in chapter 1, verse 31 through chapter 2, verse 3, says this, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, remember, when we talk about the Sabbath, we participate in the Sabbath for reasons that God doesn't have to participate in the Sabbath. So when God is observing the Sabbath after six days of working, he is not observing the Sabbath because he needs a day off. He he does not need to replenish himself. He does not need to refuel. He does not need to reflect. He doesn't need any of that stuff. He simply is taking some time off to enjoy the good work that he created. And so part of what work is to be is that we can accomplish something and not in the bad kind of pride, but we can be like, this is what God in part made me to do. And I just produced that. But God isn't the only one working in the beginning. If you just keep rolling along, Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. What did God do with the first man? He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to work it. So not only is God working in the beginning, but the first human being he creates, one of the reasons he creates that human being is so that he might... Yeah, work's going to be the answer unless I go off script, okay? Like, so that he might work so that he might work. Now, I've got to take you on a little bit of a theological journey because otherwise you and I will be in the dark. And the theological journey is this. There are movements from the beginning of time, really even until the end of time, there are movements that happen in history and that shapes our understanding as Christians. And so one thing that's crucial to to know right off the bat without knowing anything else about the Bible is this. There are some things that happen in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that um, tell us some things about God's intention for the world. 
Here's why. It's not until Genesis chapter 3 that the fall of humanity takes place. It's not until Genesis chapter 3 that sin enters the picture. So anything you see prescribed or being lived out in Genesis 1 and 2, that is in paradise. That is in a place known as the Garden of Eden. It is the place where God's intentions get completely and fully lived out. And so when you see chapter 2, verse 15, it is still in what place? It's not work. Paradise. But what's present in paradise? Work is present in paradise. Keller says about that idea, the fact that God put work in paradise is startling to us because we so often think of work as a necessary evil or even punishment. How many of you, you can raise your hand, it's an all play, all participate. How many of you would describe your work as 100% paradise? Thank you. The rest of us are like, where do you work? Nobody. Nobody. But that's the idea. It was originally when everything was being lived out as God intended it to be, work was present. And the reason that's huge is because we see that work is now a God-given directive, that it showed up in the original paradise in the Garden of Eden, and it's going to be a part of the paradise in our eternal future for those of us who are sons and daughters of God through our faith in Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that paradise initially was in the Garden of Eden, but eventually when, it, when we return to paradise, it's going to now be in a city. So you excited that it's in a city? If you're going to do work, you might as well be in a city, right? If you're on vacation, maybe a garden. We're headed back there. We're headed back to paradise. And in paradise, there's going to be work, which now some of you are like, maybe I'm not 15 years away from retirement. When you retire, there's still work in your future. When you die, there's still work in your future. Now, some of you are like, I know what job I'm applying for then. Like, Ben, I don't know what website that eternal LinkedIn is on, but I am ready to get hooked up because I want to do something that actually is going to matter, especially if it never ends. But isn't that fascinating that there will be work in paradise? But can we be honest? Like, our work is never 100% paradise, is it? Why? Why? Well, it's because of the fall. It's because Adam and Eve initially chose to go around God's limitations and his boundaries for their lives. You see, Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God, not in an image-bearing way, but as his equal. And make that great distinction as we go throughout our time today, and I tell you that we need to be like God. What I mean is we need to be like God in terms of mirroring who he is and what his glory is, but we don't need to attempt to be his equal. Adam and Eve attempted to be his equal. The fall happens. The reason the devil became the devil, the reason Satan became Satan is because he desired to be God's equal. And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but some of us think that we can bring our power and intelligence so much to our work that we can almost play God and control outcomes. And we'll learn that, hmm, easy. Easy. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, after Adam and Eve walked away from God's intention, their work became fruitless. And that's where some of the pain that you deal with today, it shows up in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Here's what happens after the fall. To Adam, he, that's God, said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. For from dust you are, dust you will return. So this is where work becomes less than ideal. 
This is where work no longer feels like we're in paradise. This is where the brokenness of sin or the, the caused by sin comes into the cosmos. And since this moment until today and until God comes and renews everything else, we're going to deal with the brokenness amidst the beauty. We're going to deal with fruitlessness in the midst of seasons where we actually do bear fruit. There's a reason why it's not going to go like we want it to go. It will be fruitless. Keller says, what do we mean when we say work is fruitless? We mean that in all our work, we will be able to envision far more than we can accomplish, both because of a lack of ability and because of resistance in the environment around us. He's saying we have this calling, this intention that was given to us in paradise about our work, but because of the fall of man, because of sin in the world and in our lives, it's never going to be all that we wish it was if we were still in paradise. There are going to be thorns and thistles. Anybody know some thorns and thistles in your work? Anybody? Three of us. Everybody else has a perfect job. That's amazing. I didn't ask you to call their name, who, who were the thorns and thistles. I'm just asking if you've ever been there. And so it's less than we envision. And here's why. Because of sin, sickness exists, which means when I'm sick, I can't bring my A game like I could when I'm not. Because of sin, the breakdown of the body and the mind exists, which means there will come a day in the future where you cannot bring the energy and intelligence to your work that you bring today. Because of sin, there will be conflicts. Anybody ever dealt with a conflict? Because of sin, there's going to be competition, right? I mean, Adam and Eve, they're competing for God's spot. Satan competes for God's spot. Competition exists between companies of the same industry, and competition exists within a company, which means this. When there's competition, someone wins, but someone always loses. But we get glimpses of it, and Keller says about the glimpse of paradise with our work. He says, work will still bear some fruit, though it will always fall short of its promise. Work will be both frustrating and fulfilling. Anybody know that moment? Both moments? On the same day? Have you ever done something, whether it's raising your kids, taking a course, uh, cooking something, doing the job that you get paid to do, and in one of those moments, you're like, this is what I was made for? You ever had that moment? And then five minutes later, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. He's saying we still have this vision from God about God-given work that should be like in a paradise setting. But there are these thorns and thistles that grow up along with the beautiful fruit in our lives. And so it won't always be fruitful. It won't always be a blessing. It won't always seem like paradise. So we've got to get to the heart of like, why do we do the work that we do? And let me say this, as we, get, as we start talking about like, why do we do the work that we do? Do, do, do you know that, um, let, me, let me give you this first, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and they were trying to understand, are there certain things we can eat and be okay? Are there certain things we can drink and eat and be okay? And so Paul's like, hey, whatever you eat or drink and whatever you do, I love that he gives you that phrase that's so broad because basically it allows me to use it 52 weeks a year. But he says, whatever you do, so whatever, 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 whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. My hunch, my assumption, my estimate is that you're going to do more whatever you do in your work life than you will do in any other part of your life. Is that fair? For the average person, you're going to have more whatevers in your work life than you're going to have in any other sphere of your life. And so you best learn how to bring glory to God by your work. Otherwise, you won't be bringing glory to God with the majority of the life he's given you. And here's the thing. There are some jobs 
that my guess is you could never do for the glory of God. Would you agree with that? But I know not in this room. You guys are amazing. Most everyone in this room who has a job or whatever you volunteer doing, my guess is there's a way in which you could do your job that would bring glory to God. But here's the thing. There are zero jobs that guarantee that they're done for the glory of God. Right? So it's Brad and I are leading from the stage today. You might think, but Ben, you guys work at a church. He and I both could have approached our work today and throughout this week to get ready for today in a way that wasn't for the glory of God. Right? It could be about our glory. It could be about our need to find an identity. It could be about our need to have followers. It could be about a whole lot of different things. So it's really scary to know, no matter how noble the job is in the world's eyes, right? You can still do it in a way that brings glory to God or glory to yourself. By the same token, you know that our goal isn't for you, for the most part, to come and work at Epic Church. We, we couldn't handle the payroll. That's why we call you volunteers. But we want you to be equipped to do the work God's called you to do out there. That's where the big difference can be made. And, you know, I care deeply about work. And I know what most of you think. You're like, Ben, you only work on Sundays. (laughs) Tuesday night at the Pilgrim House, we're having dinner. And Asher's, he volunteers to pray a lot. I think just because he's hungry. But he's nine years old, our youngest son. And he said, can I pray? And like, yes. So he starts praying. And as he's praying... He says this, and, and he prays to God oftentimes for things that have happened in the past, like that, earlier that day. So he's like, God, and I hope that you help dad get ready for Sunday today. And I'm like, oh, man. So he finishes his prayer. Amen. Asher. He, he's, we, uh, in our son's seating, we have a round table, and so he's to my right always. Asher, do you think all dad does is work on Sunday? Asher, do you think, do you not know that I'm leading an organization here, Asher? Do you, you know, you just start like launch into him. I'm like, come on, man. And uh, try, trying to help him understand, A, that dad does more than just talk on a Sunday. And some of you are like, do you? Really? Seriously? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. The least I can. Uh, and, and, but also just helping him understand like what dad does and what you're doing in third grade and what you guys are doing in your volunteer roles and what you're doing at the office and what you're doing in your time of unemployment, trying to figure out the future. All of this can be done in a way that brings glory to God, but none of us are guaranteed to do a job that guarantees the glory of God is happening. So why do you do what you do? Why do you do your job? Why do you go to work? Ben, because, uh, I live in San Francisco and I need a paycheck. Let's be honest, Ben, because I live in San Francisco and I need several paychecks. Ben, I need something to do with my time. Ben, if I quit working, I wouldn't have a sense of self. I wouldn't have an identity. We'll talk about that next week. Let me give you some better ways to answer the question, why work? Here's three answers. Why work? Number one, God designed me to work. He designed me to accomplish. He designed me to perform. And I don't mean in this for a celebrity status kind of way. He designed us to do things. Uh, number two, working is one of the most godlike things I can do with my life. So many of you see a disconnect on your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from your Sunday life. No, 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 no. Working is one of the most godlike things we can do with our lives. And number three, work is an act of worship. My work is an act of worship. Another name to maybe write down that's spoken a lot about the faith and work uh, 
sphere is a guy named Ken Costa, C-O-S-T-A. Um, he's got a God at Work website out of the U.K. He's in London there. He's done like uh, investment, banking, I think his entire career, still does it. And I was listening to something he said this week, and he said, every day when I come in, he's in a high-rise building in London, super, super successful. He says, every day I'm reminded that my workstation is my worship station. You're like, Ben, what is he doing? Putting his earbuds in and listening to the top 100 worship tunes? No. He's acting with integrity. He's thanking God for opportunities. He's stewarding the wealth that God gives to him. He's making the people around him better. He's mentoring young leaders. My workstation is my worship station. What if that became true in your world? Wherever it is that you do your work. Wherever it is that you do your work, whatever it is that you consider to be your work, what if that became the reality? Because here's something you've got to know. God cares as much about what I do Monday to Friday as he cares about what I do on Sunday. This is huge. God cares as much about what you do Monday through Friday as he does about what... He also cares about what you do on Saturday night, by the way, but that's a different message. Just trying to read guilt on faces. (laughs) He cares as much about what you do on Monday through Friday as he does about what you do on Sunday. Which means this, if your God is a Sunday-only God, you've got the wrong God. It means this, if you're living with a sacred or secular divide in your life, you need to just remove the division and go, no, I don't have a sacred life and a secular life. I just have a life, and all of my life is going to be spiritual, and it's all going to be sacred. And how I interact, and how I live in my relationships, and how I serve people, and how I use my money, and everything that I do. Like, this is just my life. And it's amazing how you don't have to remember which identity you're supposed to live out of when you have no compartmentalization. Now, we've got to be environment-wise, meaning there are some things you can do at certain places of employment, some things you can't do, all of that understood. But you don't need to have multiple identities. This is my church self. This is my work self. This is my hangouts. Like, you just need to have an identity. And as, as a person who's trying to follow Jesus, you know, Jesus... Not only did God work, but Jesus worked. And Jesus talked a lot about work, especially in John, I think. He's talking a lot about, I see my father working and I'm also at work. Um, he says kind of in his big mission statement that I love in John seventeen four. he said, To God, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. By finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, two things I want you to understand as we close down this afternoon. Number one is that there's a work uh, in your relationship with God that you cannot do, but Jesus can do, and he has done it. So he, the work he finished was the work that you cannot do. You cannot work your way to God. You cannot perform your way to God. You cannot earn the love of God. You can rest in and put your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for your sins. And I would encourage those of you who haven't taken that step to take that step today. But I also want you to know that he has a work for you to do. And so I'm going to pray for us in a moment. The band's going to come back up and lead us in a response song. And there will be a communion station set to my right. And then about two-thirds of the way back on that same side. And if you're a Christian, you're just invited to come and you take a piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus. Dip it in the cup representing his blood that was poured out for your forgiveness of sin. And you just taste that. And it's this symbolic gesture of saying, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. But because of what we're talking about in this series, I want to give you two directives as you receive communion today. Number one is to say to him, Jesus, thank you for your finished work on the cross. Number two, would you give me a vision for the work you have for me? Thank you for your finished work. You got me to God when I could not get myself to God. But I also know you have some work for me to do. So would you give me a fresh vision for the work you have for me? Would you pray with me? 
I hope that you'll make plans to continue to engage and attend over the life of this teaching series. And I pray that God would give you a fresh vision for what he has for you in this world of work, however you define work. We are people who are trying to orient our lives around Jesus, and that starts with receiving the work he's done for us. And then it moves into going, Jesus, what's the work you have for me? You did work for me, but you have work for me to do for you and for the sake of this world. So God, I pray you would teach us. I pray you would help us to define work the way you define work. I pray that our why would be more important than our what. That our why would be because you made us for this. That our why would be because we are like you when we do this. That our why would be that our work is a way we worship and bring glory to you. God, I pray that you would remove the divide between sacred and secular life. We would just see that we have a life. We've been given a life to steward. And whether we're in here singing a song, whether we're in our chair in the mornings reading our Bibles, whether we're teaching our kids school or we are at the office making big $100 million decisions, God, it can all be worship. Clarify the why in our hearts and our minds. And Jesus, thank you for the work you finished making a way for us to know the Father, for us to be sons and daughters. Give us a fresh vision for the work you have for us to do during our time on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to stand. They're going to lead us in a song called Heart Abandoned. It's just uh, this whole idea about God, more than needing anything else, I need you. I can live without lots of other things, but I cannot live without you. And so, God, would you come and fill me? God, would you give me what no one else, no job, no success, no power could ever give me?